Blog Talk Radio. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Exploring Awesome, the show where I explore tips, tricks, and strategies to help you and me to live a more awesome life. I, of course, am Jim Kellner. Today, I'm joined by Dr. Daniel Nightingale, who's a clinical dementia dementia specialist. Uh, Good morning, uh, or good afternoon to you, Dr. Uh, Dr. Dan. Hi. How are you, Jim? I'm doing great. Um... I, uh, I appreciate you being on the show. I just want to let everybody know, you know, Dr. Uh, Dr. Um, Dr. Nightingale, uh, he's been on the show before. Um, hopefully you go back and check out his uh, previous episodes here at the uh, blogtalkradio.com slash um, exploring awesome. Go back and check out his other, uh, other shows. You know, um, dementia is affecting a lot of people, and uh, there's a lot of caregivers that are being affected as well. And so we're going to dive into some of some of these things that can help in uh, both areas. And uh, uh, Dr. Nightingale, I understand that you have just gotten back from the UK. I have, Jim. I've been in the UK for six weeks, and um, I was in uh, England and Wales, so that was good fun. Mm-hmm. And so I'd just like to give a big shout-out to a few people. Uh, Helen sure. Randall, Rachel Kent, and Stephen Trulove. We've done some awesome, awesome stuff together over there, and um, there's a lot of exciting things happening in, in the world of dementia, in the field of dementia, in both the UK and the US, and I'm just happy to be a part of it. And just, you know, oh, just, you, mentioned there about, you mentioned there about dementia being something that is affecting a lot of people. You know, a statistic is that every three seconds, Somewhere in the world, somebody is diagnosed with a type of dementia. Every three oh, seconds. Oh wow! Every three seconds—that is—that is a huge. That's a, that's an astronomical uh, number. Can you explain real quick? Uh, because we hear these terms like dementia, Alzheimer's, that kind of thing. Can you just explain for us real quick um, what dementia is? Yeah, sure. Um, the, the word dementia itself really means a set of symptoms, a set of particular behaviours. Um, so dementia, as a word, isn't really a clinical term, but it's, um, it's an umbrella term, meaning a set of symptoms. And we've got over 100 types of dementia. And, of course, Alzheimer's mm. disease is the most common type of dementia that we see. So maybe 60 65% of all patients that are diagnosed with dementia are diagnosed with dementia that is Alzheimer's type. Um, we, we try and get rid of the word dementia now in, in the clinical setting as far as a diagnosis is concerned. And we use the term uh, neurocognitive disorder. So you would have a neurocognitive disorder of the Alzheimer's type or a neurocognitive disorder with vascular dementia, that kind of uh, yeah. diagnosis. And one of the reasons for that, Jim, is to try and clear up some of the stigma that surrounds having mm-hmm. dementia and also clear up some of the confusion as well because you know many people get confused between Alzheimer's disease they think 
Alzheimer's disease and dementia are two different things. And, of course, mm. it isn't. Alzheimer's disease is a type of dementia. And, so, and, and I still read it now in, in various places and some professionals as well, dementia and Alzheimer's disease. So I just wanted to clear that up. Absolutely. I appreciate that. Uh, thank you. And I, and I know that um, the kind of the, I guess the, I guess we'd say the, the nomenclature um, that, you, that you encourage uh, people to use um, is, uh, you know, things like instead of saying suffering with, you, you talk about, uh, I think you said living with, is that what you, you say? Yeah, positive language and positive terminology is something that we always advocate um, so yes, absolutely. We, if you suffer, if you told somebody that they suffer from something, that's exactly what we're going to do. If you tell somebody mm. they are a victim of something, they become a victim of that thing. And if you tell somebody that they are wandering around, that means that they're doing something aimlessly. So we mm. try to, to promote that positive language of living well with dementia. And we mm-hmm. don't wander, we walk with purpose. Because everybody living with dementia who, who walks has a reason for walking. They have a reason for doing. Mm. And it's, it's our responsibility as caregivers to find out what that reason is, to enter that person's reality, enter that person's world, and just kind of find out, okay, where are you walking to? What are you looking for? How can I help? How can I enable? How can I empower you to find whatever it is you're looking for? Um, so I think positive language and terminology is, is, it affects how we feel. As you know, Jim, it affects how we feel, how we think, the language that we use in therapy, the language that we use when we're working and supporting people is, is really important. And, um, and I think yeah, really we, is, have yeah. to, we have to really think about that and the impact that it has on people. Yeah, absolutely agreed. Um, you know, one thing that I find I find so interesting about about this this topic, and and I do want to get into. Uh, um, I understand you have a couples retreat coming up for people that care for people with uh, with uh, with dementia and uh, um, the, the various. Anyway, uh, we'll talk about that in a moment. But you know, I did want to say something real quick, and, and I don't know if you have any um, any uh, insight in this, but it's so easy whether it's dementia or whether it's any kind of um, you know mental um, mental health issues. It's, I, I find that it's much, I don't I want to say easier, but it's much more likely, I think, that we, we maybe blame people for the behavior or we, we stigmatize it more than, you know, I was just talking to someone recently who has got some, some symptoms of dementia and tried to explain to them that, that really it's, it's, it's just like a physical ailment. I mean, you, you, you wouldn't blame yourself because you couldn't uh, go running anymore. So if you forget things from time to time, um, it's, I think it's really important not to blame yourself. What are your, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think one of the things about stigma in mental illness in general is that you can't, people can't see it. If you break mm. your arm or break your leg, people can see it. If you've right. got depression or if you've got um, schizophrenia or any other neurosis or psychosis, it's not something that is, is obvious to the person. And, and I think that's where the stigma comes from. Um, I listen mm-hmm. to a lot of people who are, you know, professional footballers, successful businessmen, people who are very, very wealthy, um, performers, 
uh, and yet they go on and they have a mental illness. They have a, a difficulty, a challenge, and you can't see it. And all people think is, how can you? De- how can you be depressed with all the money that you've got? Right. How can you be <laughs> depressed? You know, and that right. is one of the things. So you start that the, the stigma starts to generate from that, doesn't it? Because people are afraid to say, you know, I'm just going to be labelled if I. You know, if the general population find out that I've got depression, for example, or suffer from severe anxiety, or have a, an obsessive compulsive behaviour disorder, then I'm going to be stigmatised. And and it's because people can't see it. It's because people function quite well without anybody noticing that there's an actual problem. Um, and you, you, we only have to look at people like Robin Williams, who you know, he had Lewy body dementia. And he was ashamed of having Lewy body dementia. And he, you know, he, as we know, he took his life because of the fact yeah. that he had Lewy body dementia um, and, and depression. Yeah. And he had depression for, mm-hmm. for years, didn't he? Years and years he had depression. Maybe yeah. all his life he, he lived with depression. So the stigma comes yeah. from that, I believe. And what we did a number of years ago in the UK was um, developed a national dementia strategy. And the UK was the first country in the world to to have a dementia strategy. We've got 30 now, I believe, with Canada being the most recent country to have a a national dementia strategy. But one of the core objectives of the national dementia strategy was focusing on how can we reduce the stigma based around Alzheimer's disease and other types of dementia. Um, That was one of the uh, one of the key the key components of the strategy. So, you know, there's work that goes ahead to do that. And as I said about diagnosis, one of the things that we try to do to to work with that is diagnose somebody with a neurocognitive disorder as opposed to Alzheimer's disease, vascular dementia, whatever. So, yeah, stigma continues to be an issue, but we're we're kind of working towards reducing that. And I think if people also realise where dementia is concerned, that you know it's just it's just a part of who I am. I have dementia. Mm-hmm. I, I have Alzheimer's disease, for example, and it's just a small mm-hmm. part of who I am. I can't, you know, my short-term yeah. memory is affected, or whatever whatever challenge mm-hmm. the person's having. It doesn't it doesn't become them. They should never become Alzheimer's disease. They should never become Lewy body. They should always be the person first, um, and that's what we try to yeah. encourage, and that's what we that's what we teach, and that's what we try to do in clinical practice. Yeah, I really like the way you um, you know we talked on the episode last time you know about um, I, the way that stress, um, being stressed out about it can can make it so much worse, and I think that uh, what you're talking about now is 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 putting different labels on it and and. Uh, Helping people to to live well with it, uh, rather than think of it as a um, some terrible thing and it's some weakness on their part um, and that sort of thing. I think it's just it's really super important. Absolutely. Yep. So um, now I understand. Now the reason that I wanted to have uh, uh, Dr. Uh, Dr. Nightingale on the episode again uh, on the show again because uh, I saw that he's doing a um, a couples retreat. And if I understand it, it's for the it's for the for the individual that's that's living well with dementia and their immediate caregiver. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, sure, Jim. The um, couples retreat is 
uh, it's, it's for somebody who is living with dementia, so somebody who's on mm. the journey, and their immediate caregiver, which may be their husband or wife or son, daughter, friend, whoever it might be. And we do a, okay, it's a three-day retreat on a farm, on our farm in New York. And mm. we provide intensive therapy, psychotherapy, and what other kind of therapy and, and support that people need to both the person who is living with dementia and the immediate caregiver. Because it's a journey. They're on a journey. Mm-hmm. And that journey is shared by everybody who comes into contact with that individual. So yeah. I, like to see, I like to see cognitive change as a journey. And at our farm, mm. we have animals. We've got horses and goats and dogs and cats. And we we work with, um, I usually work with the person who is living with dementia. And Kathleen, mm-hmm. my wife, she works with the, the caregiver. Because one of the big, big issues that we have is caregiver stress. If you're supporting mm. somebody who's living with dementia 24 hours a day, seven days a week, it can be very, very taxing. Mm. It can be very, very stressful. And it can, it can cause you to have, it can cause a caregiver to have psychological issues or physical illness or develop disease. So we work intensively with both, both people on an individual level, on a one-to-one, but also as a group as well. You know, we do some couples work as well. And the whole point of it is to send the people away at the end of three, their three-day uh, retreat. They go away with tools that they can use to improve their quality of life, tools they can use mm-hmm. to help, help themselves and help each other and manage better. Um, and, we, you know, we've had some really good success with, with the couples retreat. And, of course, mm-hmm. one of the, the big challenges that we see in people who are living with dementia when they get to a certain stage in their journey is the communication side of it. Mm-hmm. Horses... And people living with dementia communicate so well. And it's because horses don't use verbal communication. They communicate with horses through body language, not through mm-hmm. verbal communication. And so when somebody living with dementia has got to a stage in their journey where um, receptive language or expressive language has become a challenge, become a difficulty, they can mm-hmm. interact with a horse much, much better because they're not having to use verbal communication. And horses can feel, horses can feel your emotions. Horses will react to your emotions. A horse's heartbeat will fall in rhythm with your heartbeat. So Mm. a horse can help people remain calm. A horse can help people connect and Horses are very often used with people who have PTSD, um, especially people who've gone through, you know, the war and got PTSD from from wars and things. Their anger, if they have anger, working with horses helps so much with anger management as well. So they have that connection and that communication. So we see people come to life we see a spark in their eyes that we haven't seen for a long, a long time when they're interacting with uh, horses, when they're interacting with other uh, animals. Um, 
You know, we, we know the power of having a cat, for example. We know that if you're stroking mm-hmm. a cat, it reduces the risk of you having a heart attack or a stroke. Um, so mm-hmm. there's, a, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of things that we know about working with animals and how it affects people on a positive level. So we use that alongside other forms of therapy, person-centered counseling, uh, psychotherapy, cognitive behavior therapy, hypnotherapy, hypnopsychotherapy, you know, all these different uh, modalities that we use to help the couple and bring them together and, and help them manage their issues and challenges and stresses. Because, you know, that's, that's all it is. It's, it's a, they have a problem. And a problem is a solution in disguise. So whatever problem people are facing, there is always a solution if you search for it. And um, people living with dementia are absolutely no different there to our I believe, experience, experience I believe and challenges yeah. that can be dealt with. Yeah, I was just, I'm sorry to interrupt. I was just gonna say, I, I believe that it's so true. You know, whether you know whatever age you are, whatever condition you have, um, you know, we we sort of get wrapped up in our excuses when when really it's it's you know it's um, a lot more powerful if you can come up with excuses why you can succeed, why you can move forward, and and uh, instead of just resting on those um, excuses, because there is there's always a solution, like Doctor Doctor Dan says. And if you're having trouble finding a solution, um, you know, reach out to him. I do want to let you know too. We've got about we've got about uh, about ten minutes left of the show, folks. If you're listening live right now, we're we're broadcasting at around uh, eleven twenty a.m. on uh, three fourteen two thousand eighteen. If you're listening live right now, please give us a call three four seven eight five five eighty seven eleven. That's three four seven eight five five eighty seven eleven. And uh, you can also find Doctor uh, Doctor Dan Nightingale. That's with an uh, that's N I G H T. I-N-G-A-L-E. You can find him on uh, Facebook and uh, on LinkedIn. And uh, let me give you, uh, let me just give you, check out his website too if you, uh, it's DementiaTherapySpecialist.com. You know, head over there, check that out. Where can, um, where can people find out about the, more about the, um, about the retreat? Yeah, they can find the retreat, the couple's retreat is on the DementiaTherapySpecialists.com website. And for our UK Excellent. listeners, it, it's also on DementiaDoctor.co.uk. You can find it on there, mm-hmm. along with um, our training program, which is called My Dreams of Being, Inclusion of Reality. Now, that training program mm. has been developed for educators to be able to deliver to their staff teams with my remote support. So they have, all, they have everything they need in that pack to deliver really good, true person-centered training at an intense level. Mm-hmm. And whilst they're doing it, they can access me via Zoom or Skype to help them with delivering that program. One of the reasons I was in the UK, I was in Wales to uh, present some awards for staff who have completed the My Dreams of Being training. And feedback was phenomenal. Feedback from those guys who did the training was phenomenal. And we take some of those elements of my dreams of being and use them when we're supporting people on our couples retreat. So, you know, we have um, all kinds of different models and approaches and interventions that are, that are practical. You know, we, 
I don't go in for all this academic stuff. When you're teaching caregivers how to support somebody to live well with dementia, it doesn't matter about neuritic plaques and tangles and tau proteins and, and all the biological stuff that's going on. It's not really mm-hmm. important at that level. It's more about the practicalities of how I can support a person and how I can help them lay down new neuronal pathways so they can relearn skills and all that kind of stuff. And that's part of the My Dreams of Being, and it's part of what we do at the couple's retreats as well. So very often when people leave our retreat, they've they've regained some of the skills that they'd lost because of having that diagnosis of dementia. They've, They've regained those skills. Um, and that's a good thing. You see a, a big spark in their eye and their confidence comes back up and their self-esteem comes back up and they go away a different person. And, and same with the staff who, who studied the My Dreams of Being program. They've said that it's, it's been an amazing experience for them. Um, so that can also be found on our website, dementiadoctor.co.uk, dementiatherapistspecialists.com. You know, you said something in there that I think is is really important for people to remember and to understand. No matter where you're at um, in this in this journey, as you call it, there's always a hope. There's always a chance, and there's always um, the prospect of getting better. So, um, and like you say, talking about learning, relearning old skills. Um, you know, it's not, it's not definitely, I, I think that it's important to remember that there are things that can be done because I've heard people say, well, there's nothing, there's nothing, to, there's nothing to do for it. And I think that's, just, that's really the wrong approach. There's, there's always something that can, that can help, and you've just got to find it. And I think, you know, like last time you were on, um, Dr. Nightingale, you had talked about some really powerful research that you had done showing that hypnotherapy uh, could help uh, with dementia. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the research that I did with Dr. Simon Duff in Liverpool involved people who had various types of dementia and who were at various stages in their dementia, from early onset to moderate to severe. And hypnotherapy did, as you said, it, it was amazing. It blew us away. The results, the outcomes, the improvements that we saw, they were unbelievable. And so they were, you know, published in peer review journals in Europe and the U.S. And, as, you know, on the back of that, we developed a training program for hypnotherapists and hypnopsychotherapists and psychotherapists and psychologists, psychiatrists, who uh, study our program to use hypnotherapy with their patient group and their clients. So hypnotherapy, very, very powerful, very amazing outcomes and this is because we're we're bypassing all the organic stuff we're passing all the you know all the parts of the brain that might be damaged by dementia and we're reaching into the subconscious mind the unconscious mind which you know as you know jim a lot of our memories live in the unconscious mind we've only got about five percent of what we do say think feel believe and and understand is at the conscious level. It's only about 5%. That's 95% yeah. at the unconscious. So absolutely amazing results, amazing stuff. And I use it in clinical practice, and other clinicians use it in clinical practice and continue to have some really good outcomes. That's fantastic. You know, and there's, 
there's so many treatments available. I, 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 was, I was so frustrated when I heard this person, someone close to me, uh, about someone else that's close to me that just sort of was just kind of a throw their hands up in the air, well, there's nothing to be done about it. No, there is. There are things to be done about it. Even, even uh, diet and exercise play a part uh, in it. So, so please, don't, don't give up. Um, no matter what you've got, there's, there's, you, can, you, can always, you can always do better. You may not go back to, to where you were, but you can do better than where you're at right now. I want to say something, too. You know, uh, Dr. Dr. Daniel is, uh, I mean, he's got a long list of credentials, uh, Dr. Nightingale. And um, I do want to point something out, too. You know, I, I, uh, I just did a TEDx talk on hypnosis. Check it out. Um, and I was, uh, I was in a place where, you know, the, the TEDx people, they want to make sure that, that you're not just quoting pseudoscience. And, and so I was able, they, they said that I needed to find a colleague who was what they called credentialed. Um, to review the, the studies, and um, I mean, I know a lot of hypnotists, but as far as credentialed ones, and we're talking about having a doctorate and, and, uh, and those kind of things, um, he, was the, he was the one that was able to sign off on that. So, um, so thanks again for that, Dr., uh, Dr. Nightingale. You're welcome, Jim. I think you did a really good job on that TED Talk, and um, if anybody gets the opportunity to see it, I'm sure Jim's got a link that you can you can see it. It's well worth watching. It's very very good. Yeah. So I'm happy yeah, to support that. There, the, thank you. It's, it's right there in the link. So, um, you know, I think it's so important for people to understand that you know we just because you there's everybody there's so many people out there as you know Dr. Dr. Nightingale. I mean as we talk about you know it, it seems like everybody you talk to says they thinks they can't be hypnotized when really the research done by major universities like Stanford and Harvard mm-hmm. and, and all these universities indicate that it's actually just 85% or more and and I think it's it's really it's not about whether you can or cannot be hypnotized as I explained in the TED talk it's more about how quickly you can uh, enter trance and how quickly you can uh, accept, accept suggestions um, Dr. Daniel um, yeah. I, I do think because here's the thing too yeah. oh, go ahead because it's a natural it's a natural thing. It's a natural cycle that we go yeah. through all the time throughout the, throughout the day. It's, it's nothing magic. It's nothing new. It's just the word yeah. hypnosis. Well, you know, every 90 minutes we go through a hypnotic cycle. You know, we've got yeah. the highway hypnosis. We've got all kinds of different types of hypnosis that, right. that people experience every day. So it doesn't matter who you yeah. are and whether or not you believe in hypnotherapy, you experience right. it every <laughs> single day. Hmm? Yeah, it, it really is. If you, if you think you can't be hypnotized, you just don't understand uh, what it is. Uh, because uh, as Dr. Nightingale just said, we all we go, go in and out all the time. You know, I want to say something, too. I think this is such an important thing that you're doing with, the, uh, with supporting the caregivers because this has got to be a very stressful thing. If you're, if you're um, living with someone that's, that has the, uh, that's, uh, that's on the journey or even if you – you're just, uh, you know, popping in a few times a week. That's got to be a difficult, difficult thing to, to, to do. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's so stressful. It can be very, very difficult and upsetting. So emotionally, mm-hmm. emotionally and physically, it has an impact on, on the caregiver. The caregiver's stress is phenomenal. Um, as I said, Kathleen, did, she does some amazing work on caregiver stress and, she has this um, natural ability, if you will, to help people come back down from that, from that care of stress and develop some tools. She has some amazing tools that she uses to help uh, caregivers deal with that level of stress. So, yeah, absolutely. Um, it is, it is a, it's, a big, it's a big problem. We, we have a dementia support partners group 
in Western New York. And our, our next meeting is at Elderwood next week, actually. Um, and people can find that information on our website too. But that, that's really, a, a, we, we've started that to help caregivers, to help uh, people living with dementia, people who are supporting that person on their journey, be it their husband, wife, whoever, and also professionals. Um, and, and we all get together. And we all get together at lunchtime and have something to eat and something to drink and, and, and have an education program and get people to meet each other and support each other. And I know these things are out there and I know that they happen in other areas and, and things, but it's so important. I don't think you can ever give enough support to caregivers. It's, it's tough. I, my wife went through it with her mum. She, she was supporting her mum who, who had dementia a few years ago and she experienced the caregiver stress, which is why she developed this program for helping other caregivers. So she's coming at it, not just from a professional angle, but also from a, a personal angle as well. And if we, as I said at the start of the show, every three seconds, somewhere in the world, somebody is being diagnosed with dementia. That means that somewhere in the world, caregivers are being burdened with all kinds of challenges and uh, we have a responsibility to support them with that. Well, and can I just say too, um, and then we're gonna have to we're gonna have to wrap it up. Um, but I do hope you'll reach out to Dr. Daniel. Here's the thing: if you're a caregiver and you might be thinking, "Well, that's selfish of me," no, you know what? That's the best thing you can do because your stress is going to contribute to their stress as well. Once again, I want to thank Dr. Daniel Nightingale for being on the show today. You can find out more about him and uh, and his wife uh, Kathleen at DementiaTherapySpecialist.com. You can also find them on Facebook and all that good stuff. Hey, everybody, take care. Be well. Be awesome. Bye. Bye. Bye.